Coronavirus cases surging dramatically across the state of Indiana. Today, we'll talk with Dr. Deborah Burks from the White House Coronavirus Task Force and with former state health commissioner Dr. Judith Monroe. Plus, legislative leaders on both sides of the aisle talk about what's to come at the Indiana State House. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. We start with the coronavirus crisis. Governor Eric Holcomb under quarantine this week after being exposed to the virus within his security team. Thankfully, the governor and his wife testing negative. This says the state continues to deal with surging case numbers and record hospitalizations. We'll talk with Dr. Deborah Burks from the White House Task Force in just a minute. But first, Darius Johnson with the latest here in Indiana. Everything is on the rise. Cases, positivity rates, and hospitalizations. But it's not just in Indiana or the Midwest. It's across the country. You know, it's not surprising. Typically, you know, uh, hospitalizations tend to be slightly lagging behind the test counts. Dr. Sean Granis with the Regan Streif Institute says things took a turn for the worse when the weather got cold and people started congregating inside. So there are a number of viruses that are exchanged because we are in closer proximity. That is one primary driver of this um, uh, exchange. The highest number of COVID-19 hospitalizations in the spring was 1,799 on April 13th. Seven months later, there are 3,000 patients hospitalized. But what's different is the virus is no longer isolated. It's everywhere. All of these um, should be um, wake up calls and warning signs for people to continue to follow uh, safety precautions. What concerns me the most is this will be the first time sort of in this pandemic where we have kind of back to back um, events where people are very used to to getting together as family. Hosting smaller Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings are simple steps we can all take to mitigate the virus. We've got some critical time coming up um, that we have to be really vigilant and careful and, and do everything we can so that next year we're all here. Reporting in Indianapolis, I'm Darius Johnson. All right, Darius, thank you. Looking at the latest data here from Johns Hopkins this past week, kind of striking to see uh, the difference there along our northern border. And you can see a lot of cases right here in the Midwest in our part of the country right now. We did hear from the White House Coronavirus Task Force, which held a press briefing for the first time since July, touting some of the good news we have seen in recent weeks on the coronavirus vaccines. Literally, the day after one of these vaccines is approved, we'll be shipping vaccines to the American people. And within a day after that, uh, we'll be seeing those vaccines injected uh, into Americans with a particular focus on those most vulnerable and, and those that are providing health care to the American people. This week, I also had the chance to speak one-on-one -on -one with Dr. Deborah Burks from the White House Task Force. There is that bright light at the end of the tunnel, but we need to get there together with as many Americans saved from this virus as possible. Are you among those who, who believes that the Biden transition team should be brought into the conversation on the pandemic to ensure a, a smooth transition on the fight against COVID? And if asked, would you hope to continue serving in a similar role when the new administration takes office? Well, I think your first point to really understand that I, I know that press for, for months has been talking about the governor's reports being secret. They were never secret. They went to governors and health officials in every single state. 
analyzing the data, ensuring that we were both seeing the same thing at the hospital level, at the county level, to really understand the information and then provide really a summary, which we do, and recommendations. I think it's very important that the transition teams get to see the data analysis so that there's a shared understanding of what's happening across the country, county by county, hospital by hospital, so that there's an understanding of why we've taken the strategy that we have in relationship to the states and how each state is doing and how important it is to have that really granular data. And I think that time will come and that transparency will be complete because we are very transparent with the governors and the state officials of everything that we know. We're not hiding the ball in any way. And I think you saw in the task force, the open briefing. Now, I've been a civil servant for 40 years in every administration since Ronald Reagan. And that's really up to the incoming administration deciding whether I can be helpful to them or not. Certainly my long history of service, I would not leave in the middle of a crisis if it was felt that I was needed. Finally, I want to ask about Indiana specifically, just about all the states bordering Indiana have taken aggressive new actions in recent days with new restrictions. Our state has not gone to that same extent yet. Does more need to be done in that regard uh, at the state by state level and here in Indiana specifically? Well, you can see your numbers. And you can see that what we are talking about in, in Indiana and Indianapolis in particular experienced a summer surge um, that was very clear. But I wanna make it just absolutely clear to the people of Indiana. What's happening this fall is the spread is more rapid. The rate of rise of cases is higher. The number of counties that are engaged in this rapid spread is equal if not greater than the summer. And the length that we've been in this degree of spread is longer than the summer. And so this is the moment to really do additional mitigation. There are things that the state can do to mitigate this virus, but there's also critical things that each of us can do. And all of us should be wearing a mask. We know it protects us. We know it protects others. We all should be physical distancing. But absolutely critical is we cannot have indoor gatherings with individuals that you don't know their viral status. And by looking at them, you cannot tell if they're infected or not. And to remind everyone in Indiana, we have done great improving therapeutics. And at one time, 30% of individuals over 70 succumbed, that got infected succumbed to this illness. Now it's down to 10%, but no one wants to be that 10%. And so if you have people in your family with comorbidities or you have people over 70, this is the moment to protect them and to ensure that we all make it to next year together. Dr. Deborah Burks with the White House Coronavirus Task Force, we thank you for your time. Uh, have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. We appreciate it. Thank you. Safe. We'll be happy next year. All right. Now, this week, I also spoke with former Indiana State Health Commissioner, Dr. Judy Monroe. I know in Indiana, the hospitals are pretty overwhelmed right now. And we really have to think about the hospital staff, particularly. You don't want to overrun your hospitals. And so there might be a need for more aggressive. I, you know, I applaud the governor. He's really modeling. I know he's in quarantine right now. And, uh, you know, he has uh, had the mask uh, mandate. And so that, that's all really, really positive.
All right, more of our interview with Dr. Monroe next week. Meantime, at the Statehouse, lawmakers were back at work Tuesday for Organization Day with some controversy already over the issue of masks at the Statehouse and a proposal to put an end to the governor's emergency health declaration. Kayla Sullivan has more. The only two unmasked lawmakers at the Statehouse on Organization Day are also pushing to end Indiana's public health emergency. Republican State Representatives Kurt Nisley and John Jacob did not want to comment on either matter. House Speaker Todd Houston says there needs to be a discussion about the emergency order. I think that there's a uh, proper uh, role for legislative input. I think, uh, you know, the... the uh, there needs to be a fuller and broader discussion about um, those actions. Nisley and Jacob say Hoosiers are capable of protecting the health and safety of themselves and their families. Adding the public has been educated on COVID-19, therefore a state of emergency is no longer needed. That doesn't seem realistic to me at all, frankly. Um, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we are. Um, I know we're getting very close to a vaccine, which is exciting, um, but we're in a pandemic. And again, the cases continue to skyrocket. That's one reason House Democrats proposed a rule requiring masks at the state house that was voted down along party lines. That motion was um, um, just not well thought out and, and, and uh, clearly a uh, um, you know, written in, in a way that would have caused a lot of problems for a lot of members. The state Democrats put this forward um, to um, really protect the health and safety of, again, not only the members, but the staff, uh, the folks in the media, uh, the public that comes into the building. Speaker Houston says the discussion may come back up in January. I have strongly encouraged, as you could see by our caucus, the vast, 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 vast majority of our caucus uh, did wear masks. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Well, this year, lawmakers have to pass a state budget and also need to redistrict Indiana's congressional boundaries. Senate Minority Leader Greg Taylor, who's new in that post, has a bill that would guarantee public input and stop lawmakers from gerrymandering and drawing districts that only take political parties and voter demographics into account. With the high voter turnout, I think people are excited about voting. They voted more than they ever have in the past this year, and I think we need to seize that momentum going forward. Both Republican majority leaders in the House and Senate believe the public should be involved in the process of redistricting. Lawmakers will officially start hearing bills in early January. Well, as for the presidential election, more headlines this past week as the president continues to try and discredit the results of the November election through a combination of legal challenges and other unfounded claims. We're going to be talking with our panel about all of those headlines coming up. Meantime, on Capitol Hill, Congress still has not been able to reach a deal on a coronavirus relief bill. Just weeks until the new administration and new Congress get to work in January. Trevor Shirley spoke with one of Indiana's newest members of Congress, Republican Victoria Sparts. Trevor? Well, Dan, good morning. On Friday, I spoke with Congresswoman-elect Sparts here in Washington. She's been here since last week for new member orientation. We talked about what Congress should be doing right now in terms of another round of COVID-19 relief and whether she views Joe Biden as the president-elect, something some Republicans still dispute. But first, I asked about her top priorities once she's sworn in. 
Well, I think it's important for us to uh, deal effectively with coronavirus and then start working on healthcare policy. It's always been my priority. I also would like to work on some issues on education and high ed. I spent some time in the state house, but also been at college level. Do you think Congress should get some kind of a, another round of relief bill passed by the end of this year? Well, I think Congress should be doing the job and should be working, you know, House and the Senate with the President and deliver the bill, for sure. They need to work on it, have less politics, so hopefully they'll get it done. If not, I think we should be able to get it done next year, but I hope it will be done this year. Do you, as an incoming member of Congress today, recognize Joe Biden as the president-elect? We have to always let the process play out. Everyone is entitled to make sure that the process is transparent and that people have trust in the election. So I think we need to have the process play out. We need to have all states certified. It's a fair deal. And Sparks will be back in Washington for another week of orientation after Thanksgiving. She then becomes an official member of Congress on January 3rd. Reporting in Washington, I'm Trevor Shirley for In Focus. All right, Trevor, thanks. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we'll hear from Senator Mike Braun on that topic of the presidential election. And later, we'll talk about the potential impact of the entire NCAA tournament possibly coming here to the Circle City. Stick around. It's crucial that we keep our infection rate low so we can distribute the vaccine as quickly as possible when it's ready. Governor Eric Holcomb in quarantine this weekend, but part of a group of bipartisan governors from the mid Midwest pleading with people to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus over the holidays. Let's bring in our panel right now, starting with Adam Wren, who's a contributing editor at Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Adam, this group of governors may have come together for this public service announcement, but they're certainly making very different decisions state by state about how to navigate the challenges that we're facing across the border in Kentucky, Illinois, Michigan, even Ohio. Some significant new restrictions announced uh, just this past week. That's right. We've seen Governor Holcomb really put the onus on local governments, uh, which is sort of the Republican philosophy uh, writ large. And, you know, whether or not that'll work is, is still to be determined. Uh, but to, to Governor Holcomb's credit, you know, he did kind of put his uh, thumb on the scale uh, earlier than many Republican governors in places like North Dakota, for example, and asked for a mask mandate in July. And so you've got, you know, countless number of lives saved in that decision. And so, you know, hopefully um, we're able to kind of move forward as a state and, and really wrap our arms around this uh, virus. And certainly they've had a lot of issues there in North Dakota and South Dakota. Let's turn to Alexander Hudson now, who's a contributor with Young Voices. You've written a lot about the need for unity in the country after this contentious election year, but all of this has really gone beyond politics too, in a way, in terms of how Americans have approached this pandemic. We're, we're very divided in some ways. We're incredibly divided, Dan. The presidential election, the pandemic, it just seems like insult to injury. And this is a time where we need more than ever to focus on what we can control, focus on the people in our lives who matter and focus on loving them. And, and for friends and family that feel lost and, and, and disappointed and, and uh, during this time, we, we need to uh, support them. And, and maybe sometimes that even means maybe not talking about politics, not talking about the pandemic. I have some, some people in my life that we just can't talk about those things. And that's okay, because there, uh, there are more important things to talk about. And um, we need to not debate strangers online. No one's ever changed their mind on Twitter. Right. <laughs> and so this is a time where we need to build community, where we can focus on affecting the things within our control. Yeah. 
Robin Winston is the former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats. R Robin, what do you make of the political conversation he here in Indiana, at the State House, especially this week, uh, on the issue of COVID-19 when it comes to some of the practical realities of, of how you govern in the midst of this health crisis? Well, I think uh, Speaker Houston made a definitive statement when he pointed out that most, if not all, of the members of his caucus were adhering to a mass mandate and were following that protocol. Uh, we had an election where Rainwater got 12 percent of the vote, basically campaigning against a mask uh, mandate. Clearly, that wasn't enough to put him over the top. But lastly, there's not a person that I know that is not talking about what are they going to do to address COVID-19 relative to their Thanksgiving holiday. I think that's what matters the most is people are making their own kitchen table decisions about yeah. this issue. Maybe a lot of Zoom calls uh, with, with family members, with relatives just like this. Uh, let's turn to former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. You served in the General Assembly. What, what do you make of the events of this past week there at the State House? I think generally reporters don't have much to talk about on Organization Day because it's photo day. The most important story of Organization Day was Senator Greg Taylor being named the first ever African-American caucus leader in the state of Indiana. That is huge news. He's a great guy. Um, by the way, I'd like to wish uh, Governor Holcomb and Janet uh, the best in, in yeah. bearing up under the, uh, the quarantine. Maybe that means they have more time to watch In Focus this Sunday. Well, there you go. In Focus, a little Netflix, whatever the case may be there on TV, right? The Colts this Sunday, wishing them the best, obviously. Uh, let's talk about the presidential election right now. Quite a week as the president's team continues uh, to try and cast doubt on the election results. Their legal efforts and attempts to find evidence of widespread fraud have been largely unsuccessful and highly controversial. This week, the president fired the man in charge of cybersecurity for the 2020 elections, a move that was criticized by lawmakers on both sides. But we've not heard much pushback from Indiana's two Republican senators. This week, Senator Mike Braun wouldn't respond directly to Chris Krebs firing, but says unifying the country will depend on secure election results, in his view. I don't think that's possible until you overturn every stone out there, because I think it should be in the best interest of all Americans to make sure there aren't any irregularities in a process that's so sacred to all of us. Krebs' replacement has not been announced. Uh, Adam, your reaction here to the Republican reaction, particularly, I guess, the lack of reaction so far from, from our two senators. Yeah, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, uh, this isn't really a Rorschach, a partisan Rorschach test. Uh, you should really be ashamed of Senators Todd Young and Mike Braun and anybody else in the GOP delegation in Indiana for their failure to stand up for, for democratic norms, for their failure to stand up for uh, free and fair elections. Um, their silence speaks multitudes in this situation. Um, really, they've beclowned themselves this week by not speaking out uh, against uh, you know, people like former New York, Mayor, uh, New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani's uh, sort of sophomoric effort to push back against uh, elections. Uh, I think, you know, the former Colts quarterback, Curtis Painter, was more successful uh, in his season as the backup quarterback for the, for the Colts than uh, Donald Trump's uh, legal team has been. I think they're like one for 27 right now in their legal challenges. Oof. So it, it's really a shame that they haven't... Um, you know, grown, grown spines and stood up for, for democracy. I, I was not expecting a Curtis Painter uh, reference on the program today. Um, Jim Banks did author uh, an op-ed this week, Mike. He's now the new chair of the Republican Study Committee. He wrote about the political dynamic for Republicans in the post 
Trump era, perhaps going further than most to acknowledge uh, that reality uh, in, in Washington, D.C., than some of his colleagues? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate Jim Banks on becoming uh, chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He has a great future. And you're right. He is speaking now of Donald Trump in print in the past tense, which is good. Um, Kay Granger, a significant Republican congresswoman from Texas, the ranking member of the Appropriations Committee in the House, is saying it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And then, of course, we had Mitt Romney coming out this week with a pretty, pretty strong statement along those same lines. So I think Republicans are slowly going to come to the realization that it is time to move on. And I really don't begrudge um, Braun and, and Young their statements. They're, they're just being careful and they're looking at their base. Robin, I want to get your thoughts uh, to everything we've seen this week in Washington with the, the aftermath of this presidential election as we continue here uh, on our podcast. It's amazing, uh, Dan. There are 100 members elected to the United States Senate and I've never heard the word voter fraud, election fraud from any of their mouths, and they all were elected. It wasn't until Donald Trump decided to make that part of, of his argument on why he was defeated by almost 7 million votes that this became the way of the world. Now, the flip side is, is that I don't think there is a post-Trump era. I think that Donald Trump is going to define the Republican Party for at least another three to four years, simply because he won't definitively say that he's not going to run for president in 24. As long as that sword is out there hanging over the necks of potential candidates, I think they're going to be very, very skeptical about leading out and being critical of Donald Trump. Well, and to add some context in there, Adam, uh, Congressman Banks did, in fact, write of this era of Trumpism in the post-Trump era. So he's acknowledging there that uh, perhaps Trump as a candidate, as a president, his time may be uh, over for now. but a lot of the legacies he brought to the Republican Party may remain. That's right. I think Congressman Banks gets one thing right, and that's that the era of Trumpism isn't over. And I think he gets a major thing wrong, which is he says that voters um, loved Trump's policies, but, but didn't even if they didn't like Trump himself. I think it's exactly the opposite. I think there's a cult of Trumpism uh, and they would follow him wherever he went, regardless of where his policies were. So, um, you know, I think uh, uh, Jim Banks is probably the best indicator that we have that the Arab Trump isn't over. But I think he sort of makes an incorrect diagnosis about why that is. Alexander, we talked a little bit about unity earlier in the country coming together. Uh, how do we come together at this point when, when you're talking about an election situation that that a certain a degree to a certain percentage of the country believes isn't over and wasn't done fairly in their view. The Roman statesman Cicero, Dan, said that all we need to be happy in life is to tend to our garden and enjoy our library. And what we need right now is to focus on those things. We need to we need to prepare for sacrifices that need to be made in the country. Being in a democracy means not getting what you want all of the time. <laughs> it means uh, it means unfortunately making decisions that um, that are sad. For example, not um, not visiting our family uh, over over Thanksgiving. And so it means uh, this is a time to to buckle down and, and get comfortable and enjoy uh, our immediate surroundings for the time being um, and until, until God willing, we have a vaccine very soon. Yeah, we've had some good news there. All right, let's wrap it up here with this week's winners and losers. And I'll also let you throw in here, since we are approaching Thanksgiving on Thursday, perhaps something you're thankful for this year as well. Mike, I'll start with you. Well, I'm, thanks, I'm thankful for Dan Speeder inviting <laughs> me on this program, frequently, number one. Stop. 
We're glad my to winners, have Chris Krebs and uh, Brad Raffensperger, who has stood up courageously to a lot of pressure. And my loser is Lindsey Graham, who has shown himself to the sycophant and unprincipled person that he is. Robin? My winners are the scientists that have worked extremely hard to move vaccines for COVID-19 to the forefront. Stresses once again the importance of science, technical, engineering, arts, and math education in our public schools. We're seeing the benefits of it. The other is another winner this week. And the winner on that is those in Georgia that were maligned, that took the time to hand count the ballots. And guess what? We still win by 12,000 votes. So democracy is what I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving. Adam. Yeah, my losers are Senator Todd Young and Mike Braun for failing to stand up for a democracy. And my uh, winners are Senator Todd Young and Mike Braun for renaming post offices in Dana and Kokomo, Indiana, uh, which is uh, a legislative feat that apparently a lot of people are asking for. Alexandra, you get the last word. So I think uh, winners this week and in the next few weeks will continue to be uh, uh, through stockholders. And, and again, uh, grateful that we will hopefully have a vaccine on the market very soon. And I'd say losers are families across the country that are making sacrifices and won't be seeing family members uh, over the holidays, which is a very sad prospect, but a necessary one for the time being. A lot of sacrifices uh, for us all, as you pointed out. Stay safe, stay healthy. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, uh, all of you. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm thankful to have this forum and to be able to chat with all of you every week. We appreciate it. Have a great holiday. We've got really good working relationships and great support from the Hoosier State. The entire NCAA tournament could be coming to Indianapolis because of the pandemic. Organizers want to hold all of March Madness in one location. We'd already been scheduled to host the Final Four. This move could have a huge impact for local businesses that have really been struggling this year. If the NCAA has the confidence to have that uh, kind of mass production of games in, in our city, that not only bodes well for the city, but all the businesses that are there. There's no question that our downtown has been devastated by this virus and by other actions that have resulted throughout the year. This opportunity to bring this infrastructure and give it life uh, is incredible and the timing couldn't be better. Governor Holcomb also talked about the possibility at his media briefing this past week. So when Mark Emmert approached us about the idea to bring the entire event to Indiana, we said we will do all we can to support a successful and safe tournament. In a statement, Mayor Joe Hogg said also shared his excitement over the potential to safely hold the tournament here in Indy. Well, today on Fox 59, an NFL doubleheader. First, the Browns and the Eagles. Then the Colts host the Green Bay Packers. CBS 4 has the Colts' blue zone after Face the Nation. Then the Ravens and Titans at 1. We're back right after this. Stick around. Much more ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving weekend. We'll see you back here next Sunday in Focus.